listeners, welcome to Inside Techcom with your host Zohra Mutabana. In season 4, I hope to bring to you different perspectives and interests that intersect with our field. Let's get started. Hello friends, welcome to another episode of Inside Techcom with Zohra Mutabana. Today, I'm having my best friend Sean Kern on the show. and i pick his brains all the time he and i work together and he is a nerd if i'm using it in the right context he is super nerdy and he and i were talking about chat gpt what else right and he started sharing all these cool things with me and i'm like dude you have to get on my show and i'm honored to have my dear friend sean kern with me here today hey sean how are you doing I'm doing good Zora and thank you so much for that introduction. I do really take the term nerd as a badge of endearment uh, and something that I strive to earn and wear proudly. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. I'm so honored to have you. So Sean, tell us a little about yourself. I have a bachelor's and master's of science in technical communication with most of my focus being on software documentation, UX and slideshow design. I am a bit of a computer nerd. and a word nerd so it, it's i find it to be a fun intersection and in doing so a lot of times i'm looking for new tools and new ways to reduce my own workload and make my work more accurate more targeted and and we will do a deep dive into that but tell us you and i've worked on some really interesting projects and one of the reasons why i love collaborating with you is you're such a like a coding geek or at least from where i'm sitting and watching you do stuff so tell us how your background in techcom has kind of lent to your passion for coding and what have you done to become the scripter that you are today yeah well i don't know if i have earned the scripting or coding geek title quite yet but i am certainly an amateur coder uh, particularly with regards to finding things that make my life as a technical communicator easier and it's funny because my first real life tech com gig was about 15 years ago at a research institute they had built an internal toolkit of something like a thousand scripts in various languages and the only documentation they had was the command line help statements my job was move all that content from the command line help statements into a confluence wiki and then take that same content and create a user guide in microsoft word. And I think I had uh 3 <laughs> months for this project, maybe 4. Anyways, it was an absolutely insurmountable task to do manually, especially within that time frame. So I asked of the course. developers like how do I even begin here? And they're like you're going to have to use regular expressions and you're going to have to use python and you have to use some bash. And I'm like I think you hired the wrong person. It's like but I'm going to try and figure this out just the same and I I did it. It was, you know, week after week of figuring out how to use Python and Bash and macros in Microsoft Word and all of these more technical elements that are available to tech writers but maybe not taught in a traditional curriculum. They're not usually not listed on any sort of application to a tech writing position. But What stuck with me the most is once you know that this technology is out there that you have these tools to help you that can vastly simplify both removing bottlenecks from your job functions and automating more mundane parts of your work. You can reapply those. And to this day, I still use a lot of the same tricks I learned from that that 3 month 4 month gig 
And I use that in the same projects as at BlackBot as I did with previous companies. And it's been working great. I mean, definitely, you know, as I've shadowed you, I've seen how you kind of have applied some of the, the tricks that you've learned before to a new role. Uh, the reason I ask this question, Sean, is one, I believe, personally believe that as we grow in our careers, we have to pivot, right, constantly to keep our skills, to stay current and to stay, I guess, to stay relevant. But the coding thing can sometimes be intimidating for many technical writers. And, right, the purpose in asking this question to you is, what advice would you give to a technical writer who has absolutely no experience in, in coding? What could be the simplest way to start somewhere? I would say just learning regular expressions and learning how to open a file in Python and find a chunk of text, you know, a string that's maybe like our most recent collaborative project, the alt text script, where you and I set up a script that basically looks through all the HTML files and says, okay, find all instances of an image tag and give me a list of the ones that do not have, you know, an alt equals quotation marks. And so it involves a little bit of knowing regular expressions, involves a little bit of knowing how to open a file and put over into a new file. From there, you start to realize, okay, this is just a matter of cracking open a file, finding a type of string, maybe changing that string, and and then moving any content that you want into a basically an output file or files. So that's a simple enough example that is not insurmountable, that is not intimidating. And of course, I guess Google is your best friend, right? No, I think at this point, Chat GPT. Chat GPT. Thank you. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I would have said, and, and I'm not pandering to the subject of this show because, you know, I spent a ton of time on Stack Overflow just trying to find snippets of code and it's like, okay, does this work? I think as writers, we have Google for a very long time. I think software engineers and developers have had Stack Overflow. That's been like one of their go-to resources. And so something like that just the basic of saying, okay, we'll find every instance of passive voice and put that line of code in the file into a text document, you know, that can be helpful. That could be helpful and simple for just exploring how to write things in Python, how to open files, but you can get far enough into that where we can do things like say, okay, I want you to convert all of our frame maker or sorry, all of our madcap flare documentation into markdown all of our, you know, Adobe FrameMaker data documentation into lightweight data. So once you're able to crack open files and manipulate content and put them out in whatever file you want, your ability to migrate legacy content formats into a new style or clean up legacy content becomes something where, again, if you had three months to do it manually, there's no way you're going to pull that off. Yeah. But if you have the right script for it, you can do that with hypothetically any amount of content in a couple of minutes. Excellent examples. I would agree that they are simple enough, but they can really pay off starting small and, and experimenting. So, Sean, you know, I, I've been experimenting with Python. I haven't told you that. But since I started shadowing you, I've been writing small scripts and I've been doing exactly the examples you mentioned to find patterns. I just introduced dumb patterns into a file and I tried to read that. <laughs> to see if it picked it up and it did so good examples there and i feel so motivated working with you and just shadowing you uh, so thank you for that buddy 
we talked about chat GBD, right? And before I do a deep dive into that, this was sort of the precursor to that, you know, you've been doing coding. What do you think about chat GPT from your perspective? Is it going to replace us? No, absolutely not. The first thing I asked of it was, I don't remember if it was trying to find a movie for my daughter. She was like, I want to see a superhero movie and I want it to be scary. And superhero has to be a girl. And I was like, okay, I could Google that and shift through, sort through all of the results and try and figure it out. And ChatGBT gave me a really simple, just here's a list of six movies that would be appropriate for your six-year-old. Here's the descriptions. Here's why we think it would be appropriate. I was like, huh, that's pretty cool. I should probably say that I'm relatively late to the ChatGPT game. I am not someone who's interested in having any new piece of technology for the sake of having it. I want to know that it is going to give me practical value. I don't need Alexa to turn the lights on in my house. And I don't know what the implications of that even are. So when you hear people saying, oh, ChatGPT is a singularity and the robots have taken over, Skynet has arrived. It's like, probably not. And when you have people say, this is the most powerful tool ever invented. It's going to put people out of business because it's so powerful. When you hear heated sides of both arguments, it's like, I'm going to wait for this to die down and check this out from a practical standpoint. I love it. I think it's an incredible tool. I think your average person in the tech industry right now is going to have at any given time in their workday, you know, an email client, a messaging client, maybe Stack Overflow, maybe Google. ChatGPT is going to be the next tool on our computer that is just open at all times of the day. And it's because whereas search engines help you gather information, ChatGPT, it gathers it and aggregates it and transforms that information in a novel way that is eerily similar to what we do as technical writers, but it cannot do it better than us. And I guess once we get in some, some of the case studies I've looked at, I, I could start with those next because yes. you know, my first experience looking at this is like, oh, this is pretty smart. And the second question I typed in in chat GBT was as tech writers, many of our projects start with research, whether that is us having to research original content ourselves or get content from subject matter experts. Now, right. if we get writer's block or we're not able to access such a subject matter expert, you can't start your project. Yep. So yep. right after I typed in my first question, GPT, I realized it's like, wait a minute, I've got this bottleneck going on right now. So I'm supposed to be documenting some internal DevOps processes. The colleague that we're supposed to interview for the information is absolutely the best in the company at this sort of thing. He knows his stuff up and down, but because he's so smart and so in demand, his calendar was literally booked two weeks out. The normal workflow for tech writers here be either A, I start looking through the existing documentation on this particular DevOps workflow, or I wait until we can get this DevOps person in the room. Right. And it's going to take two weeks. And I was like, well, I've got this little chat thing open right here. I type in, it's like, how do you, how do you build this? And, you know, this infrastructure, I can't go into specifics here, but it's a third party DevOps system. And it spit out 300 words. I typed in two follow-up questions. Each one was another hundred word response. Took 20 minutes to parse that down to about 150 words. 
Cool. And then sent that to the subject matter expert and said, hey, I know you're super slammed right now. So rather than you trying to come up with something to send to me yourself, maybe just when you get the chance, go through this, review it for accuracy. And we can use that as a starting point when we do have the chance to meet. And it worked out pretty well. And then I realized, wait a minute, I just shaved two weeks off of what have been would have been the turnaround time for me to just get started on this. That's pretty neat. Now, in this case, there was information out there already available about this third-party tool. Yes. Right? So, uh, and, and ChatGPT had access to that data. But the, fact, but the fact that you were able to use it to your advantage is an example of how you can partner with this mm-hmm. quote-unquote tool. Well, I was also able to take the edited version of the documentation that I worked on and combine that with some existing internal documentation specific to our company that I had found. Because you don't want to go around documenting someone else's software. You want to document how to use their software within your institution. Exactly. So I was able to find internal documentation and incorporate that as well. So this is where human ingenuity I mean, I think from my takeaway from this example is, you know, at the end of the day, you nothing can replace human ingenuity. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of text to clean up Mm -hmm. because as you had pointed out, this was an existing, this was an existing product from another company that it was getting the documentation from. So depending on how well that company documents their product, that's, I think, going to inform how well GPT documents it for you. I think that's a very important point. I want to kind of elaborate on that. The fact that the data that is available to ChatGPT is the data that has been created by a human. And as it's learning, it is learning from existing data, at least at this point in time. Precisely. And as tech writers, I, one of the reasons I say is we're not going anywhere anytime soon. What ChatGPT is not going to put us out of a job is because one, it still needs us to edit this stuff. And two, as tech writers, we're oftentimes documenting brand new technology. And exactly. It doesn't exist anywhere else. It doesn't exist so anywhere So both else. the components of our jobs where we create new content and parts of our jobs where we refine old content, we are still quite relevant. Thank you. I really like that take. And I, I do see it that way as well. I had somebody comment on my post on LinkedIn. It was like a doomsday sort of a scenario for them. And I think a lot of, there is a lot of excitement, but there's also a lot of panic from what I can sense. And I don't know if this person who responded to my post on LinkedIn was a technical writer or not, but they're like, oh my God, this is just going to replace us. And it's going to be the bane of our existence. And I'm thinking, are we creating unnecessary anxiety with that approach and that mindset? I think it's absolutely okay to be cautious about this sort of thing. One of the earlier things that I read or listened to, I'll have to get you her name. I forget the name. She did a really cool little YouTube video, you know, things that tech writers can use ChatGPT for. She compared it to what happens with translation devices, Mm. where all of a sudden you had the feel of translation. We hadn't cracked the code yet. You still needed a person to do good translation from one language to another. But once the technology hit like good enough, a lot of that was automated. A lot of it was just, you know, 
It's like, well, we could either hire a full-time translator or we could just get something that's fairly close with this automated system. So I do think a company could say, well, we don't feel like hiring a tech writer. So we're just going to have our POs put their stuff into chat GBT. And they'd get something that's better than if you didn't have a tech writer at all. But it's not going to be good as an actual tech writer. I would say my advice to anyone that thinks that their job is going to be taken by the system, go in and play around with it, but just play around with it in terms of the area of your work that is the where you're the most valuable. So for example, the scripting and programming that I do to build utilities, to make my day a little bit easier. That's important to my job. That's not what companies hire me to do. ChatGBT can definitely outcode me, but I know that it cannot outwrite me. I know that it cannot outedit me. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think ChatGBT can outcode a professional software engineer or developer, but I think it can probably outedit them. Does that make sense? Yes. So yes. It's going to prop up the areas where we're not experts. And it means that whatever domain of expertise that we're in, we're going to really have to double down on it. And we better darn well be passionate about it, right? Because otherwise, otherwise, like you said, we're not going to be able to keep our competitive edge and we're not going to be ahead of this technology come chat GPT five or six. Great advice, great insight uh, and a great, uh, I think, great perspective there, Sean. Absolutely. I think, I think I agree with you. So that kind of naturally segues into my next question. You have done some cool stuff at work with chat GPT. If you can share those examples, can you share some interesting examples? Because I thought as we were, as you and I were talking about it the other day, I thought, hey, you know what, technical writers out there who are not thinking of how to leverage ChatGPT as a tool can start thinking about those. And some of the examples that you shared with me kind of just led me down that path. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why don't you just jump in and share those cool examples with me? I mean, my favorite example so far And I think it's the one where it's my favorite because I had the highest aspirations to it, but it was the most lessons learned. So it was maybe the fourth or fifth thing I typed in chat GPT. It's like, can you read this URL to me? And it was the release notes for one of the products that I work on. And it said, sure. And it gave the content and it's like, this is not the right content. And I was like, what's going on here? And it turns out like chat GPT cannot read live websites. It was reading a website from a couple of years ago which I think a lot of people that are roughly familiar with the engine, they, they understand that now. It's not reading live websites. It ju- just somehow knows everything that was on the internet three years ago or whatever it is. Yeah, so, I think 2021. That's interesting. That So you just randomly went and typed a URL and asked ChatGPT to read that. I just went into it with a project and was like, let's see how much it can help. It's like, okay. So you can't read live websites, so that's out. And it's like, okay, well, what happens if I take this uh, raw pseudo HTML file from my Madcap Flare project and just paste that right in there? Sometimes I had success with that. Sometimes I didn't. But it was like, okay, read the content in this HTML and then edit it. And it could do that, but I also need you know, before and after of the plain text so that I can diff them and figure out what exactly ChatGPT changed because I don't trust it enough yet to just give it content and then control C, control V to into a document. That's not safe at this point. 
So then it became, okay, well, you can't upload a file directly. So now I'm pasting code and it doesn't like HTML. Once you get past 70 to 90 lines, there's a chance that it will choke. And then it's okay. Well, if I paste in the HTML, can you convert that to Markdown? And then I take the Markdown code and use that for the original, then ask it to edit the content in the Markdown for clarity and grammar and the style of, of technical writing, get new Markdown and compare that. And so essentially I'm trying to throw my content at it in as many ways as possible to figure out what type of content it works the best with and to be able to track the various edits that it's making. Mm -hmm. I mean, my conclusion at the end of the day is drop it in there, have it convert to Markdown, then convert it back. The process itself was not worth it. The edits that it provided, and, and I cycled my entire Flare project through it. So about 80 topics, small project. Sometimes it picked up really good examples. A lot of times it introduced passive voice. A lot of times it overwrote our, we have an internal style guide at our company. So it would change bolding or italics or, you know, switch around things as it, as it saw fit. And then one time it just took the markdown and tried to make it into a Python script. Which is randomly. Random. And there was no discussion of Python in any of our discussions. Oh, okay. So it just a complete glitch in the matrix. In very few occasions, did it introduce anything that was completely wrong? I would say that it offered very diminishing returns on editing content that I worked on recently. However, working on a product that we had acquired from another com company, there was some very old content that it saw and just marked right up. And this was good because it was like on the landing page or some of the most frequently visited pages of our product oh. where everyone has been staring at the product description and the content on that page for so long that no one's thought to edit it in many years. People just kind of glaze over it. So I think it's great if you're going to use it to edit legacy content, content that was written by someone that maybe wasn't a technical writer or was from a different company in terms of having it edit my own writing. And not because, you know, I'm like, Oh, I, you know, I can out John Henry, this, this machine here, I would take any tech writer at Blackboard to edit my content before chat GPT hands down. Will it find, you know, random things here and there? Yes. Is it worth cycling an entire flare project through there? Probably not until there's a more efficient way of doing it. And I don't know if I have found what I would consider an efficient way yet. Getting closer. Okay. So what kind of prompts did you provide, Sean? You know, you went through a pretty big process to get to discover whatever one, you know, and all that you've shared so far. But just as an example, can you, based on what you've shared with us, what kind of prompts did you give with your content? to benefit from ChatGPT's feedback or edits? Your question is perfect because it addresses the area that I got burned the most in, in this Flare project. And that is, if you know how to use ChatGPT, you can get content in a code editor that has syntax highlighting, and you can get it in tabular format. You have to specify it. But I would say, for example, okay, convert the following HTML to Markdown Ignoring any madcap elements because madcap flare adds 
additional proprietary elements to help their software process HTML better. When I didn't tell it to ignore the madcap elements, it says, this is not HTML. This is XML and I cannot read it, which is true. Right. Which is true. But I was able to get it to read madcap flare content and it did somewhat fine with that. And it was like, convert this to markdown. And it would just give the content and it's like, this isn't markdown. And that's literally what I typed. I go, this isn't markdown. And it says, oh, yes, here, let me display this for you in a code editor with the raw markdown. It's like, perfect. And then the next time I'm dropping in HTML to it, I go, okay, convert the following HTML to markdown, ignoring any madcap elements, display the full markdown syntax in your code widget. Wouldn't do it. Every time I had to have a follow-up question, that says display this in a code widget. So... This is not something where you can put in a single line and have it do everything that you want to. It has to be iterative. You have to do follow-up questions. Now, I tried the same thing in ChatGPT4. It did everything right away perfectly. Oh, it did? Yes. It takes a lot longer. And both ChatGPT 3.5, which is the currently the most recent version, and ChatGPT4, you're dropping in an HTML file that's, depending on the complexity, 100 lines or so, it's going to choke on it. And by choke, I mean, it might get to line 70 the one time, it might get to line 80 the next time, it might get to line 60 the next time. So there is a lot of treating this as an iterative process Mm -hmm. that has to happen. Okay. So if somebody is, you know, a lone writer, and is trying to figure out, hey, how do I put ChatGPT to my advantage? Is there anything that you can recommend them from this exercise that, hey, maybe you can, there are XYZ things that ChatGPT could help you with? Absolutely. I mean, just as a research assistant for getting the crappy first draft out of the way. Okay. Um, I think most tech writers, well, I might be wrong here. I think tech writers that have a healthy ego understand that the first piece of content they put together, it's not going to be great. And that's fine because we can figure out and edit as many times as we want. But getting that first chunk out there and going through whether it's Stack Overflow or a bunch of Google hits, I mean, like, oh, this is an ad. I have to drop my email to receive a white paper to get access to this information. It's a great place to start for that original research and just getting a chunk of content to parse down and hopefully figure out in a complex concept right off the bat. For coding, something that I had not considered, not only does it write, from my perspective, pretty decent code, it comments all of its code. And our colleague, Bob Costanzo, has been throwing his scripts in there and saying, yeah, write comments from my code. And it's like, how brilliant is that? And then meanwhile, you've been using it for translation purposes, which of course I had never thought of. So I think aside from generating content, getting over writer's block or using it to comment some code or that, just be creative and play around with it. If you're willing to say, I want to see how this tool works for my project. I think there's a lot to be learned no matter what you're working on. And I I really look forward to hearing from other tech writers in terms of what they're using this for. Yeah, I think think this is a great period for us to really get 
experimental with it, right? And and have fun, really, more than anything at this point, and not feel intimidated that this is going to replace us. Mm-hmm. That's for another day. I'm going to leave that worry for another day and have fun with it while it's accessible to us right now. Yeah. Right? Because I think very soon it's going to become a paid subscription thing, and we may not have access to it for us to experiment. So I think it's great that writers such as you are experimenting with it and having and discovering some new ways, model ways that brings up my next question for you. And I think you mentioned this is you were going to throw our style guide at it and do something cool with it. Well, I don't know if that's within my scope of abilities. I would really like to. I looked One of the things I have enjoyed the most is, you know, if you can't find what you're looking for on Google, you can't just say, Google, help me figure you out. With ChatGBT, I typed in, okay, so what do I do if I want to give you content and have you format it and edit it for APA, MLA, Chicago, anything like that? And it's like, I can handle most style guides. And it's like, what about an internal style guide for a company, not a widely known one. And it's like, okay, it's like, you can do that through the chat interface, but it's going to be really loose paraphrasing, by the way. Chat GBT is, is trained to give much better responses than I am, much more articulate. Chat GBT basically said, you can do it through the usual chat interface, but it's going to be very difficult and potentially inaccurate. Your best bet is to feed it through our, our API. Okay. And that's the point where it's like, okay, I'm going to get myself an API key. I don't know if I'm going to get to the point of building my own style guide through it. But you've tried something at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. right? And I think the biggest thing I learned there is ChatGPT understands its own constraints. And if you ask it if it can do something, or if it's giving you a hard time, say, how do I get you to do this? It's really helpful in that regard. And it takes a weird type of creative thinking that we've not really developed with search engines. Search engines, you try and type in a string and you click enter. If it doesn't work, yeah. try again. You switch a couple of words around, whereas ChatGPT is iteratively building on what you're doing. Very true. I almost felt like I was having a conversation with it. It's like a two-way street. With a, mm-hmm. with a search engine, it's a one-way street. <laughs> and... Frustration can build up very quickly. So Zora, to your point about, you know, this has to be a conversation. It's not Google. I think this is a new type of, you brought up the term prompt engineering, which thank you for that on your last episode, because I didn't know what the heck it meant. But prompt engineering is basically, do you know how to use this in a way that's not Google? And one of the things I'm trying to use it as is more like Wikipedia. You know how you go on those Wikipedia, like you just click, 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 and eventually you wind up somewhere completely different. Yep. Wasn't necessarily what you sent out to do, but you sure learned a whole lot getting there. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm starting to look at it. And that's happened with some of the the tech comm stuff that I've discussed where it's like, oh, how do you work with Markdown? Can I do this with your API? How much does your API cost? What is a token? So having those conversations where you're drilling down more and more, I think is a better way to interact than, you know, the Google one-off, can I get what I need at the top of the search engine? And I think by treating it that way, 
you're less likely to take whatever chat GPT spits out and just roll with it. And so last week was my wife's birthday. We're in the middle of selling a house. We're super busy. We've got house showings. We're both still working. I was like, what do you want for your birthday dinner? She's like, anything involving smoked salmon. It's like, okay, well, that's <laughs> one of my favorite ingredients. But, and she's like, not the pate. It's like, all right, well, there goes my ace in the hole there. And so I was like, okay, chat GPT, what are some cultures that use smoked salmon as a primary component of dishes and it spits out some stuff. I was like, okay, let's, let's figure out a salad. And I work with it to build a salad. And I was like, what are some dressings that would go off this salad? And they did one and it was sour cream and horseradish based and one that was Dijon mustard, lemon and sour cream based. And at that point, it's like, you know, this is someone's birthday dinner, specifically my wife's birthday dinner. <laughs> it feels like I'm cheating at this point. So it's like, you know what? We're going to end the chat here. I'm going to look at these dressings. I'm going to combine them. I'm going to change them because, you know, I do have the ability to cook and think on my own. So I very much think that chat GBT, whether it's for the professional workplace or just stuff around your house. You can use it for a lot of really cool things. Great place to start, bad place to stop, especially if you're doing something oh. where you have personal talents that supersede this chat engine and something where you want it to be more meaningful. Very interesting examples. Sean, thank you for sharing something something so personal with us. You know, we, we really appreciate it. But it's like you said, you know, Use it smartly, but don't stop with it. I don't know where I read this in some book. The, the word that came to my mind was wayfinding, where you're trying to find something and the path you follow to get to it. You may not end up where you want it to be, but you eventually land somewhere where it's better than not having landed anywhere at all. Mm -hmm. Right? That's a wonderful way of putting it. If you ever do a Google search and you see like, the list of like the 10 questions that have been asked and how banal and nonsensical those questions are. It, it's the opposite. I, I, I'm starting to look at prompt engineering as the opposite of the ask Yahoo or ask Google. I don't know what those categories are called, but where it's like, it's like, no, no, you can't get pregnant from that. Where did you go to school? Who asked this question? Who asked this question so many times that it became a top hit in Google? It's being the opposite of the people that ask the bad questions in Google. Oh, interesting perspective again there, Sean. I agree. Another thing that I'm going to be trying out, actually, right after this interview, something that I wanted to share with you is a very dear family member of mine is looking to pivot their career. and based on their skills, they're like, I can either go to a career coach, which they will, but just as a starting point, just as a discovery, what kind of careers can I look at or start talking about? And when I go to the career coach, I'm like, this is what I want and how can I make it there? But it's kind of being more prepared and informed in, in their career choices that they're going to make. They are thinking of throwing their resume at ChatGPT and asking, based on my skills, what career options can I have? So that's something that they want my help with. And that's something that I'm going to try. I haven't tried that yet, but... Yeah, we're doing a lateral movement uh, career-wise because we don't always know where the fine overlaps are with our current roles. 
And that's brilliant. And it's great that they are also going to a professional career course afterwards, because again, this robot cannot out, sorry, it's a language model. The language model cannot outperform a lot of professionals yet. But at the same time, if they look at all the stuff that ChatGPT spits out and they know immediately, like, I don't want this one. I don't want this one. What even is this career? No, that could help them have a more focused conversation and get the most out of the professional career guidance. Yeah, that's what we are expecting. And I think to a large extent, that's how the story will pan out. But this kind of brings us back to the point where use it for your research, use it to edit, but don't make it the the end all of your work, mm-hmm. right? Use it as a means and as an aid, really, but nothing more than that. So this has been a fantastic discussion, Sean. I have enjoyed picking your brains as always. And thank you for thank your you time so on a Sunday it. afternoon while you're in the midst of a storm trying to manage <laughs> everything else. It's absolutely my pleasure. And Zora, I am sincerely looking forward to whatever we collaborate on next with the ChatGPT stuff at work. This is a fun time to be in the discipline, and I think it will continue to be. Yes, and I'm just going to add to that. And it's a fun time for me to be picking your brains. I'm so thank you for being my buddy and for helping me with uh, everything that I want to learn. I'm always curious, and it's people like you that make it fun for me. So thank you. I'm very flattered and you are very well. Thank you. Have a great weekend, Sean, whatever is left of it. And I'll see you on the other side at work tomorrow. (laughs) Bye, Zora. Bye, Sean. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app, such as Google, Apple, or Spotify. For the latest on my show, follow me on LinkedIn or visit me at www.insidetechcom.show. Catch you on another episode. Thank <laughs> you.